Welcome to the Dr. Berg's Healthy Keto and Intermittent Fasting Podcast, where Dr. Berg takes you on the journey for the truth about getting healthy and losing healthy weight. Hello, everyone. So before Dave Feldman does his talk on cholesterol, I wanted to first give you some basic understanding of the definitions he's going to use so you really can digest and understand everything that he's going to say. Okay? So we're going to start with this definition of cholesterol. So the first thing you need to know is that cholesterol is not really a fat. It's not a fat. It's a fat-like waxy substance. Okay? So let's start with the purpose of cholesterol. Number one, it provides the raw material to certain hormones. Okay? Number two, it makes up all of your cellular membranes. So in other words, the outer shell of your cells are made up of cholesterol. Three, it makes up part of the brain. Without cholesterol, the brain will not work correctly. Also part of the nervous system, the insulation around the nerves is made from cholesterol. Four, it helps make bile. So what's bile? Bile is the detergent that helps you break down certain fats to turn them into fat-soluble vitamins, essential fats that you need like omega-3 fatty acids, and it helps you make certain vitamins like vitamin D. So without cholesterol, you can't make bile and you cannot make vitamin D. So it has a very important purpose. Everyone's focused on cholesterol being bad. It's going to clog your arteries. But Cholesterol is very, very important to actually help make up part of the body tissues. All right, so the next thing you need to know is that the body makes a lot of cholesterol itself. It makes roughly about 3,000 milligrams of cholesterol every single day. That encompasses 75% of the cholesterol in your body. So if we were to take the cholesterol out of your body, 75% of it would be made by your body and only 25% of it comes from the diet. The next point is that cholesterol is a part of placking, as in a clogged artery, okay? But it's not the cause of the placking. It's a part of the crime scene, but it's not the criminal. Just because there's cholesterol in a plaque doesn't mean that it caused the plaque. Cholesterol is there as part of a Band-Aid trying to heal something. As you're going to find out, it has several really important purposes. And let me just touch on this uh, word triglycerides. Okay. Simply, it is a type of fat that makes up your fat cell. It also can be consumed from your diet to supply energy or be used to store fat. Carbohydrates that you eat can be converted to triglyceride in the fat cell. So triglycerides are called lipids. And what you need to know is that cholesterol, triglycerides, and other lipids are hydrophobic, which means they don't mix well with water, okay? Like oil and water do not mix. So then the body has to do certain things to make it mix with water to allow the fat to travel to the rest of the cells. Why? Because it provides the raw material to hormones, it helps make up the cell membrane, helps support the brain, make the bile, vitamin D. How is it gonna do that if it can't be transported? So your body adds a protein to the lipid and that is called lipo proteins. Okay, let's go to the next section on that. Okay, so in this section, we're going to talk about the five lipoproteins. Okay, lipoproteins basically are boats or carriers to transport uh, fat and cholesterol through the body because uh, fat doesn't mix well. It's hydrophobic with water. 
So we need to add a protein to the fat to allow it to travel through the body. Okay, so the first one we're going to talk about is this thing called a chylomicron. Okay, what is that? Basically, that is a boat that transports the dietary fat, the fat from your diet, from the small intestine to the cells. Okay, so this is created when you're eating. So it's a boat that takes the diet fat and it brings it into the cells. Okay, another name for this chylomicron is ultra-low density lipoprotein. So let me explain this because it's a little confusing, ultra-low density. Because if you look at the other ones in relationship to this one, you have something called very low density lipoproteins, intermediate density lipoproteins, low density lipoproteins, and high density lipoproteins. So if something is more dense, high density, that means it's more compacted, okay? So you see how small it is? Now look at a chylomicron. It's ultra-low density, so it's bigger. It's not very dense. It's an ultra-low density particle, okay? So then we have very low density lipoprotein. It's smaller, and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. In reality, we're just making something more dense. So that's just another way to understand the relationship between all of these to try to make it a little bit uh, simpler. Okay, so the chylomicron uh, is created when you're eating. But when you're not eating and you're fasting, okay, what we have to do is we have to take the energy or fat from the fat cell and transport that to the cells, okay? We need a shuttle for that. And the first shuttle is the very low density lipoprotein. So basically you have this boat that has this energy that is gonna start feeding the cells, okay? Feeding it fat, triglycerides. And then it's going to end up as a low-density lipoprotein. So you can kind of look at this as uh, these three together as a kind of a transition phase. So we're going to go from here to here to here. And by the way, there are other functions than just feeding the cell as well. And number one, it's going to provide vitamin E and other antioxidants to actually neutralize free radicals, help neutralize pathogens, there's even a little bit of carotenoid in here, which is another antioxidant. So the very low density lipoprotein carries the fat from the liver to the cells. And then this would be the next phase with the LDL, which when it's done with its purpose, it gets recycled by the liver. Now, what does the HDL, the high density lipoprotein do? It carries excessive cholesterol that's still lingering around from these guys back to the liver to be recycled or used for some other purpose. So each of these boats have their own percentages of triglycerides, cholesterol, and protein, okay? And that's what makes them different. All right, so now that you have a little background, let's go right into Dave Feldman's talk. He's a senior software engineer, business developer, and an entrepreneur. In April of 2015, he began a low-carb, high-fat diet, and after experiencing a significant rise in his total cholesterol, committed himself to learning everything he could about cholesterol and the lipid system. Lipid is fat, right? Using his engineering background. So here to make a pretty complicated um, subject simple for you, are you going to come up here and say something? <laughs> Dave Feldman. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
uh, I'm curious, do you guys, uh, do you guys like plays? Yeah, do you, I mean, you ever go out to the theater, kind of get to enjoy a night on the town? Well, uh, what I've liked about this conference is uh, fairly early on when Eric approached me, uh, we started chatting up this idea that would sound outlandish to other conferences, but this isn't like other conferences, right? No. So I would like to introduce to you an important cast that's actually at play right now inside your body. Please welcome the cast of the lipid system. We'll stop here. Yeah, I'll just stay here. Come on, please. I know, I know. We really decked it out on the pricing here. <laughs> then what I'm going to do is have you guys a little bit more over here. It's spread out so that the podium's not too much in the way. Hope you guys have a decent view. Have you all forward here? Perfect. All right. So. How many of you guys had a fatty meal? Wow, a lot of you. A lot of you had a fatty meal. It's interesting. Well, what happened to those fatty acids that were being pulled through your digestive system? Well, they got packaged into something called a, chi uh, sorry, a triglyceride. Now, the triglyceride, as we see here <laughs> by your digestive tract, is having trouble getting it into the bloodstream, and that's because it's hydrophobic, but... Not to worry, I have a boat to transport you. She has a boat to transport, and that is called the chylomicron, a lipoprotein. <laughs> now, the chylomicron is kind of like a waiter. It's moving around your bloodstream, going to these different cells, and... Oh, one of the cells would like a triglyceride. And now that all of the triglycerides are off of the chylomicron, it then gets absorbed by the liver. <laughs> However, you're not always eating, right? So at a certain point, you are fasting. You hear much about fasting at this conference? Your body should be in a state of fasting, not just overnight, but also between meals. So then what happens? Don't we still have some cells that need energy? You can tell. That's, by the way, the signal that you know the cells need the energy. Well, fortunately, the liver can help out. And it does so using the fat cells. The liver has its own boat known as a VLDL. And there it is with fat cells ultimately supplying those triglycerides through the liver to the boat. And now it does the same thing the chylomicrons were doing, but from its own boat. Go ahead. And now that it's relieved of all of its triglycerides, unlike the chylomicron, it has a second job, 
It is an LDL particle. So now it has things you hardly ever hear about. One of those, for example, is that it actually helps to neutralize pathogens. It does so with something known as vitamin E. Oof, that was a nice one. But now that it's totally out of vitamin E, what can it do with this last pathogen that's coming forward? Well, fortunately, it can bind to that pathogen to help clear it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is your lipid system at work as we see it now. Thank you so much. Come on, guys. We were going to do a, a theater bow. Here we go. Can I get one more big round of applause for everybody who volunteered for this? Thank you guys so much. So now, uh, if I can get my presentation up, I think we'll be ready to get started. Hopefully, this isn't double micing me. All right, keto and cholesterol. So uh, it's kind of a sentiment that I've seen the entire time I've been working in this. And it uh, will be actually three years next month. But very early on in the literature, I saw effectively what you see in this cartoon, which, if you can't read it, says, we already know the killer is cholesterol. We just need to get enough evidence to prove it. And that's effectively what I've seen over and over again. And again, I'm an engineer, like Ivor. Uh, you can't say something like, hey, we're at risk for a meteor strike, and it's incumbent on me to prove you wrong. It's up to you to actually prove the meteor strike is, in fact, imminent, that we should do something about it. So let's go back before three years ago in my own health journey. This was uh, what I would call my fighting weight. And um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this. I've done this uh, when I was running, and yet I still somehow had a gut. If I knew I was coming up on a camera while running, I'd try to suck in my gut. <laughs> i try to get the shot, right? Well, I... Certainly, you may not be able to see my gut in these shots, but you can certainly see my neck and my face. I was definitely a lot puffier. Uh, this next picture was actually my engagement photos with my wife. Uh, and at that time, I weighed quite a bit more than I do now. Well, this is me now. Started keto in April 2015, uh, lost 25 pounds, and the big moment Again, was about three years ago next month, uh, I became obsessed with cholesterol research since seeing my total and LDL cholesterol skyrocket. And after that, I began extensive N of 1 experiments to learn more. And <laughs> for those of you in the room who know what I mean by extensive N of 1 experiments, you know the inside joke. For those of you who don't, let's have a little journey together. So uh, I take metrics constantly. This is back. Uh, these are old pictures, you can tell, because I have a precision extra when, in fact, I like to use Keto Mojo all the time now. Uh, I have it for both glucose, for ketones. I do uh, blood pressure. I do like a whole bunch of metrics. But this is probably what I'm most known for. I take a picture of every single thing that I ingest. 
everything. In fact, at every conference, I make everyone aware of this, I will give you $100 if you can capture me ingesting anything that I didn't already take a picture of first. But I'm going to warn you, my wife hasn't collected on that, so it's not looking good. Yes, this is literally everything. You may have noticed my left hand appears in it, and that's so that there's always a reference for volume. So if I'm not actually weighing it, I can be sure that I know approximately what the quantity is. But a lot of times I weigh it as well, like you see I'm doing here with the shredded cheese. Uh, and when I say everything, I'm not talking just foodstuffs. I'm talking also supplements and, yes, even water. Every single sip of water that I've had. I even have a symbol, by the way, for when I go to a, uh, a water fountain and I hold up how many fingers for how many gulps that I've done. Now, why am I doing this? Why am I capturing every single thing I'm eating this obsessively? Well, they have to match with my blood tests. How many blood tests have I had? I've had about 105 in the last 35 months since my research has begun. And the reason I emphasize this is because I take the data that I'm collecting very seriously to the extent to where when I'm doing these experiments, I can show you just how tightly controlled it is. And that's what's going to bring me around to the inversion pattern. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with my work, this will be quite amazing because this is really the model at the end of the day as to why it is that it uh, relates back to me as a software engineer. I saw early on that this looked like a network that these different things talk to each other. And that's part of why I was happy to put that play on just now, was because you can't look at the lipid system in a static manner. You have to look at it in a dynamic manner. And once you do, and particularly the more you can kind of understand networks and software engineering, in my opinion, the more you can get why it can be the way that it does and how well it can function. So about, I want to say, two and a half years ago, I was at Low Carb Vale. And I brought these eight data points. That was back when I had only eight blood tests. And I took them over three months. And as you can probably see by that dotted orange line, it seems to reflect what's going on above it in that sort of solid blue line. That dotted orange line is a three-day average of my dietary fat. That solid blue line, that's my LDL cholesterol. So I took that to low-carb bail and I uh, stalked all of the different doctors there, the different uh, researchers and so forth. But I actually happened to have a great conversation with Ivor Cummins, as it happens to be, the one other major engineer there. And sure enough, I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I, once I get home, because this was taken over three months, and it was about every like, 13, 14 days, I'm going to actually do one full week where I actually eat to a meal plan like you see here so that I can induce a curve to see if the LDL cholesterol will even follow it when I'm doing it one day after the next. I actually was going into the phlebotomist, getting my blood drawn every single day. So what happened? That happened. Sure enough, we see the reflection shown. And then, of course, for my next one, I said, well, heck, what if I just gouge in the fat? What if I have tons and tons of it? Well, we then see the lowest LDLC that I'd gotten since I started. Since then, you can see, with 29 data points, the very beginning of my research, what is clearly what I would call the inversion pattern. And I'm going to flip the axes on the left side, flip it so that you can actually see how well it retrofits when you can see the inversion together. 
unquestionably one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen. And it's amazing to me even more so that I'm actually just looking at nutrition labels coming to the macros and from the macros ultimately being able to predict accurately what the cholesterol levels will be in my blood. Now, for those of you who are actually into the statistics mumbo jumbo, uh, the Pearson and the regression, those are amazing scores. Uh, and this is what I call the inversion pattern, the dietary fat inversion for LDLC, and it's really quite simple. I'm right now recording this on a Saturday, so if I were to have taken my blood this morning, I would look backwards three days, the Friday, yesterday, and the Thursday before that, and then the Wednesday before that, and from those three days, I feel that I can make a fairly strong guess as to what my resulting LDL cholesterol would be. Now, how is it that I can get to that? Well, I'm going to explain the model to you, and I'm going to warn you, this may be one of the more technical areas. But for the mumbo-jumbo slides, don't worry. I'm going to slow down and walk you through it. Now, this is one of those slides. The truth is, this is what you hear about all the time in the ketogenic community, and even outside the ketogenic community, that carbs and protein can be converted to glucose. OK, that's great. You also hear all the time about how fat can be converted to ketones. And that's true, but here's the thing you don't often hear about. You don't often hear about how fat can be delivered directly to cells until just a moment ago with our little play showing how they can get transported in these boats. So these are the other pathways by which fatty acids can come directly to your cells. But I want to focus on one particular one. I want to focus on the one that includes that word I want you to remember. If there's any word I want you to remember past this, it's triglycerides. Tri, as in three fatty acids. Three fatty acids, they're bundled up, and they are basically the stored form of fat. And they're loaded onto these boats that your body makes and then sends around your bloodstream. You know, I'm going to go off script for just a sec. Does anyone know about what measurement uh, just what total quantity of LDL particles you have in your bloodstream right now? Does anyone want to guess? No? Millions? How many you think millions? How many think trillions? Obviously, it's a trick question. It's millions of trillions. It's known as a quintillion, and it's a one followed by 18 zeros. Your body makes these in large quantities every single week, it actually will synthesize and then reabsorb these at a very high quantity. So it's very keen to be sure that it delivers these triglycerides and ultimately then remodel back to LDL particles. So putting it pretty simply, if you were to think of a boat as a lipoprotein like this cruise ship, what are the passengers? Passengers are triglycerides. It's right. OK. So what's the cholesterol on this? Cholesterol is the life wraps. What is the purpose of a cruise ship? A cruise ship's purpose is actually to mainly move around the passengers. A cruise ship's purpose is not mainly to move around the life rafts. However, you wouldn't get on a cruise ship that didn't have life rafts. So you do still want the life rafts. It's still very relevant. And you'll see why a little bit more later. So this is where I'm going to kind of break it out into a little bit of a diagram. And what's neat is, because of the play beforehand and everything else, we're helping to kind of set you up a little bit more. So now let's define what is an apolipoprotein, okay? 
So it's an additional protein that binds to the lipid. So you remember these little boats called the lipoprotein. There's five different ones that have different ratios of protein, cholesterol, triglycerides. They're carrying vitamin E as the antioxidant. So the apolipoprotein is basically the captain of the ship that's directing what's occurring. And we also have phospholipids, which is another type of lipid that is used in making cellular membranes. So now different apolipoproteins do different jobs and they have different names, okay? Their names simply A, B, C, D, E, H, J, L, M. And they have also subclasses of names. So A would have a subclass of different names. B could have a subclass. So LDL uses apple B, HDL uses apple A, and IDL uses apple E. So you can see that these things right here have different effects for each one of these. So what actually do they do? Well, they have several things that they do. So number one, they would activate certain enzymes to help the conversion of a VLDL to an IDL to an LDL. So basically they're, they're uh, making the fat dissolve from an enzyme called lipase and then I'm helping this unload so they can convert to this end product right here. They're also involved in transporting or directing the boats to, through the circulation, through the lymph, to the cells. And they're also involved in the communication of where they start to where they're supposed to end up. So very simply, an apolipoprotein is the captain of the boat or the ship. And without them, these lipoproteins would be a mindless bag of fat and cholesterol. We talked about the chylomicrons. They came from the small intestine. They came from food you just ate. They got loaded up with those triglycerides, a nice big payload. And then they got sent on their way to then go ahead and provide that to your tissues as soon as possible. And once they did and they lost their cargo, they then ultimately get absorbed back at the liver. But there's also a line that comes from the liver, primarily of triglycerides that came ultimately from your fat stores, from your body. So when you're fasting, you absolutely are pulling more of those triglycerides into these VLDLs to then move around. And they move into something known as IDLs, intermediate density lipoproteins, which can also be absorbed. And this is the story of energy delivery, at least in terms of fatty acids, direct delivery. So now let's talk about this other part of what lipoproteins do, because it's not just energy delivery, they're support. You guys have all heard about HDL, the so-called good cholesterol. What they really mean is the cholesterol found inside these lipoproteins, these boats, and these are in fact very good. They're very good in your system. You want them operating and doing very well. You usually like to see your HDL cholesterol very high. Well, they also work closely with LDL particles, the so-called bad cholesterol, but of course what they mean is the cholesterol found in low density lipoproteins, the boat. Now, you notice this is the one line that's pulling double duty. You see, chylomicrons, they're pretty much delivering energy. HDL is pretty much in a support role. This is the energy delivery. This is the support. Only, only the purple line, only VLDLs to IDLs to LDLs have two jobs. The first job being energy delivery. The second job being in a support role. And I showed you a couple of those support roles, for example, in being able to uh, clear pathogens. 
uh, and also neutralizing free radicals with vitamin E, also known as alpha-tocopherol. You don't need to remember that. Just remember the vitamin E. So now you have to say, OK, now hold on. I've heard that high VLDLs and triglycerides are associated with disease. That's true if they're lingering. How do you know if they're lingering? You know because it comes up in your blood test. So oftentimes when I'm telling people about triglycerides, you're being fueled by triglycerides, they go, I don't understand, Dave. I don't understand. I see that my triglycerides have dropped. Well, that's correct, because your usage of triglycerides has gone up. You're now using your fat at a much higher degree, and therefore, there's less and less triglycerides per boat. And, hmm, that might mean that there's more LDL particles that started out as VLDLs that delivered the fatty acids. You following me? All right, so now let's talk about my low-carb cholesterol challenge. I'm going to keep putting this into my presentations until it finally gets answered. But I'm going to say about eight months ago, I opened this challenge. And I wanted to put it out to all sorts of different people. I pinged a lot of low-carb, uh, a lot of lipid-lowering experts, people who are not necessarily low-carb, who say, look, you guys are getting overly comforted when you have high LDL cholesterol just because you have high HDL cholesterol and low triglycerides. I'm going to constantly call this the triad, those three together. And I said, that, OK, great. So why don't we start looking at the studies that actually examine all three of these together, the high LDL cholesterol, the so-called bad cholesterol, the high HDL cholesterol, the so-called good cholesterol, and the low triglycerides. Because from what I'm seeing, it doesn't look as if there is as much of a problem. But I want to see some conflicting data. So I had this up eight months ago. For six months, while I had this up, I got no studies. But I have gotten studies from the other direction. I've gotten studies that have shown the opposite, including from our friends at Framingham. This actually was about 4,000 different people. And what I loved about this was it also excluded users of lipid-lowering therapy. So you have a nice, fresh batch of people who didn't already have cardiovascular disease at baseline to see what a difference it would make for them with heart disease. And this is what we saw. I'm sorry, it's a little bit mumbo jumbo, but the OR above is called the odds ratio. Generally, you want that to be as low as possible. People, everybody with an LDL cholesterol higher than 100, so long as they had low triglycerides and high HDL, were doing fantastic. Well. OK, maybe this was including those people who had, like, say, an LDL of 102 or 103. So fortunately, on the same chart, we also have people who have an LDL above 130. Now, that's a lot higher. But guess what? It's the same, 0.7. Now we're talking significantly higher levels of LDL cholesterol. It's still so much better. But I actually got another study, this one. I like even more. Because in this case, they were actually using uh, men, who of course are, tend to be a lot higher risk for heart, uh, cardiovascular disease, around 3,000 of them, 53 to 74. And they divided the group by those who have an LDL of 170 or less. 170 or less. That's extremely high, or so we're told, to 170 or more. But if you look, the darkened bar on the left side is HDL cholesterol that is above 57. Triglycerides below 97. That's the tertiary. And the line is almost identical on both sides. Whether you had 
whether you had a high or low LDL cholesterol, you ended up in better shape regardless, so long as your HDL was high. The difference is less than two-thirds of 1%. But I really want to call your attention to, even more strikingly, at the top end, at the risk level where your HDL is low and your triglycerides are high, that's nearly identical, regardless of your LDL. So I can't help it. I keep looking at data like this, and I say, low LDL, high LDL, does it seem to matter as much as HDL and triglycerides? Now, throw a little more humor on it. I said that I had that challenge up for six months. Two months ago, as of two days coming, I went ahead and put some money behind it. <laughs> so I actually, I actually, uh, I put it out there that I would like to give $300 to anybody who can find me at least one study, just one study, that showed those people who have high HDL and low triglycerides with high LDL would have a higher rate of cardiovascular disease. And I even made it not even high, I said just above average. And I wanted to use the numbers that the uh, American Heart Association, uh, a lot of different, uh, like heart.org, for example, just, just, just above average. And I've yet to see one study, and I've now put money behind it. I uh, have not spent one dime of that bounty thus far. So with that in mind, I'm going to show you some very, some very surprising data that came out of the most recent experiment that I did with the weight gain. And this experiment, before I start talking about it, I want to emphasize to everybody, don't do this. <laughs> uh, there are a number of experiments that I kind of half-joking, half-not say, uh, I'm doing this so that you don't have to. This experiment in particular, some people get inspired to do experiments like I've done. Um, this is not one of them. I actually knew I'd need to induce a state of hyperinsulinemia to accomplish this, but I had an opportunity scenario. You see, I still had some weight left over from a previous couple of experiments, my capstone and my sugar experiments. You'll have to read up on my blog to hear about that. I know how crazy that sounds. Uh, and I had an upcoming trip with an understanding wife. <laughs> Can I just set the scene? There was one night where I walk into the bedroom and uh, she's reading and I go, you know, honey, it'd really help my research a lot if I could gain about 20 pounds of fat. <laughs> That's how awesome she is, so you know. Okay, here are the experiment upsides. Obviously, this was a chance to observe and compare cholesterol at higher weight on a standard American diet and to observe what happens when we change over to a ketogenic diet. Almost all of that data will be uh, available on the blog soon, but there was an obvious experiment downside. There are short and long-term risks. I knew this going in and I made this clear to my wife and I made this clear to everybody else, which is why I don't want anyone else to do this. Obviously, inducing a high-level hyperinsulinemia is not recommended under any circumstance. Just avoid that in general. If there's anything you take from this conference, it's that. So you can actually see this in the media that I was doing it around the time of the experiment. Um, you can see my face gets a lot puffier, my neck gets puffier, et cetera. And this was the timeline, it's fairly straightforward. Um, oh, kind of cuts it off a little bit, but you can see there's a little bit of a ramp up, and it's mainly through the month of April that I'm actually gaining this weight. And here's what I was eating. Bread, a lot of bread. I had a lot of cheesy bread, I had a lot of uh, sandwiches, and I had, that's like a, a chunky steak meat pie that I was getting from a place called Pie Face in Australia. Uh, and I actually intentionally avoided a lot of sugary treats because I just wanted to see you know, what would come up with just a lot of starchy uh, foods. Just, just in case you were curious, works like a charm. Gain lots of weight. <laughs> I hadn't yet gained my, my goal weight. 
of 205. Uh, so fortunately, I was moving now into a new phase of the timeline, which is for five days, I'd be doing a controlled standard American diet experiment. By that, I mean I'd be eating to a particular plan. What does that plan look like? Looks like this. At 10 a.m., I'd have a foot-long Subway sandwich. At 3 p.m., I would have a medium pepperoni pizza. And then at 8 p.m., I'd have another foot-long Subway sandwich. Total calories, 4,217. Hungry? Do you think I gained weight? I gained weight. That didn't quite get me to my 205, but I was, I was really ready to stop it there. By the way, for anybody who's contemplating leaving keto, going, I wonder what it's like to be like this. I wonder if Dave really enjoyed it. I really honestly did not enjoy it. I'm gonna say there's only one thing I find that I miss whenever I do these experiments that take me back to carbs, and I'll be honest about this, it's the hand-holding part, that you don't have to use like knives and forks as much. That's it. <laughs> That's all. Anything else, I feel like I get just fine with keto. So, okay, I then take a huge number of tests. And I wanna point just to one in particular. That third one from the left up there, that's my blood pressure. It reads 140 over 86. I'm telling you my blood pressure normally is at around, I wanna say 104 over 71 maybe. So I, I really was ready to step off this experiment. I was getting quite a bit concerned. Now, I then took a whole bunch of blood tests. You don't, need to be, you don't need to pay attention to that. But then I finally got to move to the keto phase, which was a lot more refreshing. <laughs> now I got to have sausage, scrambled eggs, and um, I did have to keep it somewhat mundane so that I could control for all the variables. So it otherwise was a lot of cheese and hard-boiled eggs with some almonds. This was a lot better. 2,437 calories, total carbs, 20. And this is effectively what the controlled phase moving into the other controlled phase of the keto looked like. So I was literally eating the same thing in about the same way every single day. And as I like to joke, it's kind of like Groundhog Day. I, I like when the audience laughs at that because I don't feel as old when I say that. So Now if we look at my triglycerides versus the weight, my triglycerides in the blood versus the weight, we can't really tell a lot, and that's because this isn't a relative comparison. But what if I take my relative or if I take my weight and actually do a relative comparison so that we can see what's happening between that five pound delta, well, we see that it looks like this. Striking. My triglycerides were much higher during the standard American diet and started dropping as I started dropping weight. But here's the kicker. How many of you guys have heard, show of hands, how many of you guys have heard that your LDL cholesterol can go up as you're losing weight? Well, I've been hearing this for years, and as the cholesterol guy, I really wanted to know, and now this was my one chance, going from a standard American diet to keto and losing weight at the same time. I finally got to find out, and this is what that looks like. My LDL cholesterol had started at a much lower level at 133, which I'm sure my doctor would have been a lot happier with. And then as I started losing the weight, it jumped up to 228. That's a change of over 100 milligrams per deciliter, or close to 100 milligrams per deciliter, through a delta of just five pounds of weight loss. So without question, from now on, whenever anybody's actively losing weight, I say, just don't even look at your lipids. <laughs> don't, don't even bother with it, right? This is what it looks like when we invert the pattern. It's actually quite striking. And the Pearson is amazing at, at 0.936.
Okay, now I've got some new data. You'll notice this table over here is now starting to pay attention. They're used to my other stuff. So this is the resistance training experiment. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard, but I was on a podcast recently, <laughs> otherwise known as the Peter Atiyah Drive. And I have a habit of doing this. I have a habit of announcing my hypotheses in advance publicly. Um, I, by the way, I had a friend who said, you shouldn't do that because you're going to eventually embarrass yourself. I said, I thought that actually was what science was, is to you know, put forth your hypothesis before you test the experiment. And he said, and by the way, he's a, a PhD uh, grad. He goes, well, not anymore. So I'm going to tell you, the, this is the mumbo jumbo, and then I have a translation one for the next one. So I'm going to read this aloud. Again, more theory. This is me talking to Peter. I'm actually going to be testing intensive exercise myself in the next series of experiments that I'm doing. There is a difference between those people who are doing things like, say, endurance running and those who are weightlifting or resistance training. In that, I think there is a greater overall gradient of receptor-mediated endocytosis for muscle repair and growth. Don't worry, translation coming. I could be wrong about that, but I'll be very curious to see if it turns out to be the case when I'm doing it myself. And here's the translation of what I really said. I said, I think when you make your muscles sore, they eat LDL particles to repair and grow. <laughs> I hadn't yet done this experiment at the time that I did the podcast, so I was very excited to do it. This ended up being the longest controlled experiment. Well, before I get started, let me tell you how I thought of that. Well, you see, this is a cell membrane. And a cell membrane is made up of two things, especially phospholipids, it's a kind of lipid, and cholesterol. That's what that little orange guy is there, right? What's a low-density lipoprotein made up of? It's made up of phospholipids, and you get one guess, cholesterol. Okay. So why is there this process that cells have called, that long word I used before, receptor-mediated endocytosis, basically the engulfing of a lipoprotein? Why do they have that? Well, I have speculated for some time that that's because it's for raw material. Certainly, they would say cells have enough on hand to be able to repair and synthesize their own cholesterol. For the most part, I think that they're right. But what if demand climbs? If you're stuck in your home, you may have enough in your garage to be able to do repairs to your drywall. What if you don't have enough? Wouldn't it be great if Home Depot was driving by your house every five minutes saying, hey, do you need anything? Do you need anything? So my theory was very simple. I believe that if I could control for every other thing that there was, that if I did some intensive exercise, I would see a drop in my LDL cholesterol because there would be a drop in my LDL particle count. But in order to do that, I would need to like live my life the same way, day after day after day. Think I could do that? Okay, that was the plan. <laughs> Try to keep everything identical from one day to the next for 20 days straight. So I need to have a big washout period so I could be sure that I had a baseline. And I was gonna have the same things the same way every day, but on top of that, also control for exercise. I did my usual 2.5 miles of walking in the afternoon every time. And this is what that looked like. No, these are not duplicate pictures. <laughs> this is literally the pictures I took on those days and at those times. So I wanted to be sure I controlled for everything that I could, including even sleep, which I wasn't always as successful with. 
And this is what it looked like. This was all of my lipid numbers taken from my cardio check day after day up until the first intervention period. Then, this is what happened. We see not only does it dip down, but actually it starts to come back up right at around the time I happened to be doing the second intervention phase. And what did that look like? That looked like this. You can actually see clearly, very well delineated, on intervention phase one, we see a drop of around 11%. On intervention phase two, where I actually really hit it, I did the weights, I went to the gym, and I also got uh, uh, vibration plates. My LDL cholesterol dropped 13%, keeping all other things the same. Now, I can't prove that that was entirely endocytosis. I don't even know for sure how much of that it was endocytosis, but do I believe that that's still the case? Yes. What does it take to do that? It takes this. It takes being able to isolate every other variable. This was also one other thing I just wanted to point out that I thought was fascinating. Uh, as you can see on in the intervention phase, I was also doing glucose versus ketones. The glucose are in the blue at the top. The glucose actually didn't change that much, but the ketones sure did. Ketone production actually went up quite a bit, or I shouldn't say perhaps the overage went up quite a bit, because we can't actually see the uptake coming into the cells. So I thought that was actually quite fascinating. As you can see, it starts to taper back down toward the end of the experiment. Now, I told you about the fat experiment. I actually want to come back to you because one of the most powerful slides I have in any presentation I'm going to show you now. And it's really going to drive home a lot of how I understand uh, LDL cholesterol and why it is that I still have the state of uncertainty that I do as far as its risk. So the carotid intima media thickness test is a test along the carotid arteries that are along the side of your neck. And it's supposed to be, effectively, and is used in many studies, as a proxy for atherosclerotic burden. What it's trying to do is measure both the thickness of your intima and your media together. Now, I had been tracking mine every six months starting in uh, July of 2016. Every six months. To my surprise and appreciation, my left carotid artery was slowly regressing not progressing. It should actually be staying the same or going up with my age. That's the normal progression. But yet it was actually going down. My right carotid artery started much higher. Started at 600, I want to say around 680, something along those lines, and actually dropped about 150 nanometers while I was on this ketogenic diet. But you remember, I uh, then after we, we go through all of this, I then go ahead and have the standard American diet experiment. I take my CIMT toward the end of that standard American diet experiment. And I'll say I was speculating there was a chance it might move north, right? Well, sure enough, the left carotid artery jumped up higher than it had ever been before. The right, likewise. In fact, if you add that last line, you can see just what a pronounced difference it is following four weeks of a standard American, experiment, standard American diet experiment. Uh, I really have to say, for any of you guys who right now are thinking, you know what, I think I'm going to take a break from keto for the holidays. I want this burned into your head. Now, obviously, I can be somewhat jovial about it because I am banking on the regression restarting again. And if, in fact, that turns out to be true, that'll be some pretty powerful data. There's me making another public 
hypothesis about my data. We'll see how that turns out. Now, this went from the lowest ever on both sides, both sides, not one side, to the highest ever on both sides, showing just how much of a difference it makes. But this is the part that's going to bring it home. You see, I already read in the literature several times one of the contributing factors, not just to atherosclerotic plaque, but in particular to the carotid intima media thickness is, as you can see highlighted, a high lipoprotein levels, high lipoprotein levels. Yet, look closely. If we add this last column on LDLC and LDLP, I was averaging 200, LDL, uh, 200 milligrams per deciliter of LDL, 200 or more throughout this period of time. And my LDL particle count was 2,000 or more, both considered well into the 90th percentile of risk. At those levels, my left and right carotid arteries were regressing. So what happened to my LDLC and my LDLP? I'll give you a hint. When I did the standard American diet, as I hypothesized would happen, my LDLC dropped to what it was before I started keto. How much did it drop? Dropped to 130. My LDL particle was what would be considered a much more attractive 1,130. So if you were looking at this chart alone, and you were saying, hey, what's the best thing that I could do to help regress the thickness of my intima? You would come to the conclusion the thing I was doing in the first four rows makes more sense than the thing I did in the last row. That's why this data is so powerful, even though it's only 10 data points so far. I want to do one big thank you to my patrons. I want to emphasize something to all of you. I take no money from any corporate entity in order to maintain the integrity of my data, and so I'm fortunate to have literally 160 plus people who actually directly support my Patreon, which makes this research possible. Could you please give them a round of applause for me? Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I really am loving this conference. Thank you so much. Hey guys, I just want to let you know I have my new keto course just came out. It's a mini course. It covers all the basics and how to do it correctly. You can get through this in probably 20 minutes at the very most. So if you're interested, click the link below and get signed up now.